Then, Marvel. No, no, I don't want you any more work now. It's one o'clock. Sneak away from the boss, pop outside, get on the stairwell, wherever you are, blast that white light. This will be good. You thought about setting up a business. This guest has done crazy. Don't know how he's still going, really. I've got one this hard enough as it is. Anyway, 20 seconds. Hello everyone and welcome to this live room special. I'm so excited you are here and I have a fantastic guest. So yeah, bin off whatever you're doing because I'm going to steal your attention for the next 45 minutes. If you are working in an architectural practice and you thought about setting your own company up, let me tell you, it might be a bit more different than you think. But equally, this guest as well as that has an unconventional view of architecture that I share as well. On that note... Please welcome the fantastic Nicholas Stockley. How are you, Nick? Are you okay? <laughs> yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Thank round of applause, please. The virtual <laughs> round of applause in the audience. Now, you everyone in the audience, you've got for your permission to ask Nick whatever you want. I will warn you though, Nick has a very feisty mute button which will blast <laughs> your eardrums. So if it's anything rude, he can blast you off the stage. But Nicholas, I digress. Please tell me a little bit about yourself in case anyone in the audience hasn't met you yet. Yeah, no problem. Hello, everyone. And obviously, thanks for the intro, Stephen. Yeah, I think, I think obviously we'll talk about this in more detail, but I've been in the architectural space for many years. So I'm creeping up to 40, even though I look 30, I know. So that's probably all the hard work of running businesses. But basically, I, I kind of high level, I left school at 16, went through an apprenticeship scheme. So I'm going to tell you a bit more about my kind of journey into practice, what I learned, and then moving into university, how I funded that, how my parents basically gave me an ultimatum around how they're going to support me financially and making me cut the lawn to earn some pennies to pay for everything and then went to Australia came back set my own practice up at 23 so very young in this industry but how did I do that what gave me the knowledge running the organization for eight years as MD growing the team for about 16 of us I still own the business it's got a great brand and reputation and moving then into the tech space with Resi the biggest architectural platform in the UK big investment from VCs and then my most recent business launch is a company called Frontload so yeah lots of interest in more deeper topics we can cover off there and now I'm sat here with Stephen talking about it all to everyone and go from there. If you're stuck here with me, it definitely has gone downhill. It was looking so, so <laughs> promising. It was not looking promising then. Exactly. Now, I was also given an ultimatum by my dad, who's been very supportive in my career. And I also worked part-time in architecture school, in Waitrose, stacking the shelves, because unfortunately, that those that tuition wasn't going to pay itself. My dad had a humble job from Welsh roots. So you mentioned at the starting point, so maybe we can weave it back to the start and also yeah, sure. then i would love to know about your first company you can let me know which one that is i suspect i know which one it is but wind me back to the start next so what was it like studying when you studied yeah no yeah definitely i think when i was 15 16 i didn't really know what i wanted to do but i was brought up in a family that had their own businesses anyway so i was very much focused on that and obviously i wanted to sort of earn some money so i could get down the local purple get myself some nike air max or whatever it was back in the day or kappa trousers i think we used to get so basically i wanted to leave school last minute i was meant to do my levels and i said to my mum and dad look i'm not going back to school and i was playing a bit of sport and wanted to go on my own and earn a pound so to speak so tip my old man very traditional said no chance you're going back I said, no, I'm not. So obviously family discussions went on. My mum became very supportive and basically took me down the job centre and said, let's go and find you a job. I think I got quite far in a car garage. I was going to become a mechanic. I didn't really know what I was doing. But then in the local paper, I think it's called the Gloucester kind of citizen or whatever it's called. There was a job that said trainee architectural technologist. So I didn't even know what architecture was, but the long words drew me to it. So I went for an interview, a company called Roberts Gardner in, in Gloucester, chartered architects and surveyors. My kind of 
interviewee was a guy called Wayne Organ. I think he's a director and associate now at that company. They've merged with a big outfit. And he was heavily into sports and various things. So I got on with him. I thought, oh, I'll give that a go. I went in there and basically just basically worked with them as a trainee, so an apprentice, basically, in, in the sector. So what I had was day release at college, Boscat, ONC in construction, did two years, and then HNC in construction. That's my third and fourth year but I was working all the time and learning about architecture CAD drawings planning and basically just evolved from there really I wanted to earn a bit of extra cash wasn't paid very well to be honest that way it goes in apprenticeships but you learn on the job so I did a few extensions on the side for a couple of the kind of more senior people they want to earn a bit of side cash so I just picked up on it really and, and then basically evolved over five years there and learned a lot and really enjoyed it and then started to think about my degree so that's when the boss's son, a guy called Joe, said to me, look, get to uni, it's great, pound a pint. Don't worry about the educational system. So I thought, oh, that sounds good, going to socialize. And then off and then off I went to Leicester School of Architecture, studied there. Again, I had to pay for everything, so I worked for George Wimpy, Big House Builders, on the side. I had to walk there and study, and then basically got my degree in architecture. And that was the kind of first step in my journey into the architectural space really well done there you go so pound a pint those days have definitely gone Nick, <laughs> like, especially even in wales where i grew up now you go back and it's creeping up to london prices so i hear you it's very interesting because i know we're going to talk about your businesses but just on this point you you did actually you, you've done these apprenticeships you fell into the profession accidentally before going to uni whereas i think a lot of people they do they part one through uni they they don't see the the architecture practice or the studio i actually was on the course and i'll be honest i did that as well whereas we had one student on the course who was working the spare time and that he could do actual technical drawings and all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. just to look at him like a wizard oh my god what are you doing <laughs> sit by him <laughs> yeah but what's your opinion on that now then do you think it's advantageous to work in the industry before studying then having looking back yeah, I think there's there's different avenues out there, really. I've got, obviously, various businesses and employees and staff, and I try and coach and be a mentor, but also everyone has an entitlement to an opinion. Yeah. Or different circumstances or different aspirations. My drive was to stand out from the crowd. It's a very, for me, from a, an architectural perspective, it's a very competitive sector. UK international students there's a hell of a lot of education time required doctors lawyers at that same kind of level so we're expected to be super smart or coherent and organized but the money in it it, it, it is tough so I think my advice to a lot of people is you need to map out where you want to go and I suppose try and be quite mature about what your goals are because life passes you by very quickly and we're not blessed in this sector with earning big money However, if you can look at architecture as a sector where you can actually contribute to the industry or contribute to a practice and via contribution, what you'll find is practices need to make money to operate. And if you're good and productive and help with actual delivery, you'll earn a lot more money than you will just by being a well-educated part one or part two grad who's going into practice based on the educational system. You don't learn a lot about what's actually required to deliver architecture and make the business money. And that's probably why the sector is underpaid or the staff are undervalued. The reality of it is it's a tough sector for any architectural practice to run. I think if you look at the chartered architectural practices in the UK, it's probably, I think, around 2 or 3% that actually are beyond two employees. That shows how oh, wow. tough it is. So I think, yeah, what I learned there, or what enabled me to get ahead of the curve is by learning in practice, one obviously helped me set my business up, but from an employment perspective, I was earning good money quite quickly because I was productive and helped with the delivery side of things. So anyone out there looking at full-time education versus opportunities to work or potentially you can do day release, whatever's available. I know I talked to you about the RIBA diploma that's that's come out in terms of working in industry while studying. I think look at it from that perspective, but also think 10 years ahead and think how can you stand out and differentiate yourself between someone else to be more attractive from an employment 
on an employer perspective. And that's what definitely helped me. Yeah, well said. It's it's fascinating. Now, I will be honest. So the architecture social is technically my third business. And the first one, I made a lot of mistakes. The second one, even more mistakes. <laughs> architecture social, we'll find out if it's a mistake or not to be continued. But so there was some point then, Nicholas, when you mentioned that you're working for a few different companies and stuff, you've had that bright idea then that I'm going to set up a business. Can you tell me about your first company then? Yeah, definitely. I think, so what happened when I was, I finished my degree, I went to Australia, just went out there and then obviously saved up some money and, and that went probably within about four weeks of being there when it was meant to last me three months. So I had two options, fly back or stay out there and get a job. So I was in Sid Sydney, got a job. I, I went for a recruitment company, a company called, I think it's called Hayes or something back then. And they basically got me a job in, in Sydney, a company called Project. And they were working with a big organization. They just won a competition. I was quite, I was young. I was 20, 24 probably then. But again, because I'd had, I don't know, about 24, eight years on my CV, even though I was young, the eight years allowed me to communicate at a level. I actually went in there to oversee three more, more older people, once they're more senior, set up all their microstation. I was working on the first Hong Kong investment in australia about 900 million development 900 million dollar development i didn't run it i was in the project team but at, at a young age i was very exposed to great opportunities but the eight years prior to that it allowed me to be probably where a 30 year old would have been so obviously i was always focused and you have to take the initiative and be eager and be driven and want to succeed and look five years ahead and it's very hard to do when you're young and sometimes it happens more organically but you need to yeah, I think in this industry, stand out from the crowd. And when I'm employing people, I'm certainly looking at their experience over education for sure, because it, it, it makes a positive impact and they can earn more money and the business operates more successfully. It's more enjoyable, less management, less training, lots of things like that. So I went out there about six months in, wanted to come back and do my part too. Uh, Leicester School of Architecture again so I applied got offered the placement and when I was out there I was on Gumtree or something and there was an interior designer in southeast London a place called Dulwich 15 pound an hour we need plans drawn up for extensions and residential development so I thought well, that sounds interesting dropped them mm. a message and then basically thought to myself when I come back to the UK I'll go and meet them and I'll do my part too so again I was already thinking money industry paying for my part two and I was going to do my part two part-time so I got myself a flat back up in Leicester met this interior design company did a couple of projects started to go well and then they started introducing me to homeowners in in, in East Dulwich and then I started pitching for business myself as a freelancer started winning projects and that started to take off so again I was I bit the bullet dropped out of my part two thought I'm not going to do that I'm going to employ architects and I'm going to build my brand and that's when I set up Design Squared in 2008, primarily coming into London twice a week, meeting clients and then delivering services. The way I approached it was low cost, build my brand, get people referring me. And now Design Squared has been, in, been around 15 years and we're working on high-end boutique residential projects. I've got a nice team structure we're very well established we don't advertise we work on word of mouth so i suppose that initial approach to yeah building out my reputation and using things like cost just to pay enough for my rent is was was strategic without even me realizing it was strategic i suppose in essence i wasn't at that level to think this is smart i just naturally did it and i suppose that's kind of part of my natural makeup i suppose yeah, fair enough. <coughs> Dulwich is a fancy part of town now, Nick, because I'm still in Lewisham. And let me tell you, it's hard to get out of Lewisham. And Lewisham <laughs> I've been in has been up and coming for 10 years. And you won't get these kind of projects you've got here in Lewisham very much. I tell you, they too, they too not you can build anything in Lewisham, though. Let me tell you. I digress though. I think it's very interesting. And so Design Squared, I'm sure that you've learned you learned a lot doing that then. Was what was the maybe some of the challenges of getting it off the ground, Nick. Did you feel that university equipped for that, equipped you for that? Or was it actually the experiences that you got, you learned in the office, which really helped you set up this company from nothing then? Yeah, I think if I'm going to be blunt, 
and I'll give a kind of a diverse opinion on this. If I'm going to be blunt, I think the educational system gives me nothing to contribute to me growing this business and okay, also yeah, growing yeah. my other businesses. But then I think if you think more holistically about it, maybe or perhaps there's some psychological aspects in there that enabled me to actually, I know, be creative or establish, I know, relationships with clients and how to win new business and whatnot. Because I think in terms of the educational system, when I was at, I probably had a different perspective because when I went into university, I was already six years in, five years in, in terms of practice experience. So could I draw, could I use CAD? Could I understand buildings? Yeah, I could. So I sailed through it. I didn't have to, I could just do what I needed to do. But then I was learning a lot about the history of architecture and flying buttresses and Gothic arches. Like I get it all, but none of that's helped me in practice because in reality, you're not going to go into industry working directly for a client in your early 20s or even probably late 20s because the directors the associates will be that level so you're more project support you're more designing so you're learning a lot about things that never get brought into practice and to be honest have i worked on his if i wanted to go into a historic or a heritage kind of practice specialized in historic buildings then the history of architecture would have been relevant but it wasn't for me so i think the problem with the the educational system for me is that I feel students should have an opportunity to understand the broader side of architecture and then maybe in year two go into practice or maybe at year two or year three have an opportunity to become more specialist so if they love historic buildings learn about history of architecture learn about English heritage listed buildings the process around it become a specialist at it if you love commercial learn about commercial if you love retail learn about retail if you love industrial because obviously don't not expected to know but the problem with this industry if someone said to me Nick can you design my skyscraper in Canary War I would say no and you shouldn't be using me for it the problem is in the industry everyone thinks chartered architects should be able to do everything that's needed no it's all about the nooks and crannies of it. So I specialize in residential design. I know everything about the party wall act, structural engineering, drainage, gutter details, trespassing, construction, contract administration, specific to what I do. And yeah, I think yeah. architecture, it doesn't mold you into that area of specialism, which again is why I think when you go into industry, you can be quite not, you're quite exposed to what you're going to be going into. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's true. And even while our businesses are not the same, I think sometimes there is a power in saying no. And especially at the start of when you're setting something up, there is the temptation to say yes to everything, isn't there? But on the theme of you setting up a company, we had a quick question come in from the audience. And yes, yep. in the audience, you can ask any question, as long as it's not rude or anything, because you get blasted by Nick's button, which we'll play at the end. Just don't want to lose anyone just yet. Mohammed yep. says, quick question for Nick. How were you able to set up a design practice without part three. So first of all, Nick, is it true that you set up your company without your part three? And yep. in your experience, is it any different really, apart from, you? I guess you can't call yourself an architect if you haven't got your part three, but you can you can run a business, isn't it? What's your views on all that then from Mohammed? Yeah, no, really good question, Mohammed. And I think the answer to that is that the start of it, I could, and I still can't, I am not an architect. I employ yeah. architects. So in terms of my initial starting point, I made it very clear that I'm an architectural technician and I provide architectural services, which you're allowed to do under the RIB, RIB code of conduct. And that's what I did. And that's what I do. After a period of time, as the business grew and I wanted wanted to become accredited with ARB, there's legislation around directors and their qualifications within the practice. So I employ, I think it's about six ARB, RIB architects that run my organization from a architectural accreditation perspective. So in terms of Mohammed, if you wanted to set your own business up, you can't call yourself an architect until you're chartered, qualified and accredited. However, you can provide architectural services. That's the way you overcome it. And then in time, you need to look at your business structure, who you hire, who your directors are, and then you can call yourself an architectural practice. Very true, isn't it? And I think, and I think, just on that to add, is clients used to always ask me; they don't anymore because, obviously, Design Squared is an architectural company, and you just need to be transparent with them. But also, I throw it out there: I'm not a chartered architect, but I'm better 
I think I'll be better than 99% of chartered residential architectural architects in the UK. Just a bit of banter, but yeah, yeah, it's about Sh- experience. Yeah, shots fired. I'll give it to you. <laughs> I'll give it to you though. They're nice buildings, and it's all about the team. There's no I in team, but there are a few architects. So ARB, we're compliant. Yeah. I joke, but it's very cool. Now, Nickers, if it's ha- if I'm interested as well, because along your journey, and we're going to get to your current business front load, but I think it's important to talk about Resi because I, from what I've known in the industry, I thought it was quite a radical way of, of just a different way of offering the services, but also very relevant. And I can see the mass appeal to it as well. So first of all, if someone's not familiar with Resi, do you want to explain your journey in that and the je ne sais quoi of that business? <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I think, so I think it all started off. So Alex DePledge, it was one of our Design Square clients and she had founded a company called Hassel, a tech company in the cleaning sector. And she, they basically got invested in and then they got bought out, I think it's 50 million euros from a German outfit, basically. So as she was one of my clients, she said to me, kind of architecture is a bit backward, isn't it? Because it's very much like email, PDF, let's have, a, let's have a call, let's print out the drawings, let's talk about it over a coffee on a dining table. And she's that's a very 1970s. Obviously, she's been in the tech space. So her head is always looking at automation, semi-automation, technology advances in the sector. And I think we all know, even now, it's still quite old school. There's a lot going on in the space with AI and various other things that are, that are coming in. But at the end of the day, an, arch- an architect is needed to design a building and no machine can do that because of the personal relationship with the client. That's my opinion on it. Yeah. There's a lot of tools out there that should quite slick in terms of how they can pull around the plan and give you some automatic layouts or visual representation. There's some great stuff. What Alex said is, let's give it a go. So I think we put £2,000 in each. We all agreed that we'll give it six months, see if we can get something going. It's a company called BuildPath to begin with. And what we basically brought to market is a, a basically a concept package for homeowners for basically zero pounds to look at what could be done to their house. Can we get people interested in this? Are people interested in talking to us? So in essence, trying to take over the homeowner space. So yeah. we're just call, calling out speaking to people then we move that into we can do you a concept package for 250 quid and obviously we're good we know our stuff so this output was very much some like little 3d massing studies an overview of planning policy precedent what could be done i suppose in essence what development potential was there out there and then so after about two months we had our first payment come in George Coleman, who was the other co-founder, the other co-founder was a guy called Richard, who was working with me at Design Squared. So we bought the architecture, they bought the tech, and I suppose the network and their reputation in 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 the city, I suppose in London with VCs. And so George built all the technology behind it. So there's obviously the payment processes, the dashboard. We're starting to build all this out. Got our first payment in, and and then I think we just basically built a bit more of an investor deck around it, around the opportunities. It's, it's a big space. It's worth a hell of a lot of money in terms of revenue as a nation, but there's not a, a go-to. There's never a go-to brand, and I think to be honest, there still isn't. And Resi is the biggest out there, and so it's based on the national scale. How do we give homeowners the education, the understanding of what can be done, and what is your kind of go-to brand? So we got some angel investments. So angel investment guys is where individuals believe in the business. Obviously, Alex and George were well connected and had a strong reputation. So that was very easy to raise. I think it was the first million quid we got from that. And we used that to hire our first sort of 30 employees. So we weren't very aggressive. But all of a sudden we were doing 10 grand a month revenue, 20 grand a month revenue. So it started to filtrate mm. and scale. So it showed demand. And obviously we're always evolving and had to have a tech team and an HR department and all of the fun things about running a business. And then an American and German VCs got wind of it. So they were super interested. They just had a pot of money to invest in, in, in the European market. So we went for a really, they're great by the way as well. So we always had control of the business under our shareholder agreement because VCs usually take control. But because right. we were growing so aggressively, and it was such an interesting proposition and concept. We allow, we retain control and we raised multiple millions in terms of investment and grew the organization to about 150 of us, about five mil rev. So big growth, no profit, yeah. burning the hell out of their cash, but they don't care as long as there's growth. So we did that and I was heavily involved in, 
architecture. I was heavily involved in working with the engineers around the platform, the marketplace. How do we streamline delivery? How do we give clients a good customer experience? How do we allow them to understand like who else they need? Who do we partner with? All of that. So we basically built that over basically a four-year period. And obviously then COVID kicked in. Ah, of course. So I'm going to pause there. Anything on that, Stephen, before I tell you about what happened next? I think it's brilliant. What, but the bit that I love about it is because I do think that you touched upon earlier, the traditional way of architecture is that uh, you spend hours and years doing the shard and all this romantic notion. <laughs> Whereas what I love about the way that Resi was approached, it is, like you say, looking at it backwards, is forgetting the romantic notion. It's about doing a good job for people, the, with the general public, in a different way so it's i think it's quite an interesting bit solution to a problem mass market so that's what i'd like to add i think it's it was quite interesting but i have no idea what you're going to say in covid and all that stuff go on then spill the beans yeah i think just to take one quick step back around what you've just said there i think obviously everyone would generally think i'll just use a local architect they come and meet me yeah yes that is available of course it is but the problem you get is that Quite often people don't know who to use, where to go to, what should yeah. I be paying, what can I do, before they start spending loads of money on something that might be a lost cause. And unfortunately, this sector is rife with builders that can call themselves builders overnight. It's rife because it's your home. It's your life. It's rife because you're putting 50 grand, 100 grand, 200 grand into this property. And if you get it wrong, it can affect your whole life. Yeah, but, yeah. So people get really confused around what can be done, where do I start, who do I go to. So what Resi focused on there was the investment for free around educating. Right. Communicating it to them. And obviously off the back of that, then people start saying, can you help me? What are your costs? But the yeah, focus, yeah. we're doubling down on the blogs, presentations, the podcast, and the different kind of sources of kind of dialogue and communication, the documentation we produce just to educate homeowners so everyone knew from a starting point there is the same starting point for every project but there's different strategies around I don't know, return on investment when do i start what's my two-year plan my five-year plan pd rights article four directions planning policy prior approval permitted development there's so many things in there and quite often 90 of the population wouldn't even have a scooby-doo what half that means we do and that's what yeah. Resi was about to begin with. Nice. I think Resi would have done well in the village I was from in Ponte de las in Swansea because next to my parents' house, there would be like that awful extension with breeze blocks and the bloody, the pavement was chipping away. And, and you'd be like, who did that for them? And they'd be like, oh, don't ask some cowboys from Carmarthen. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I get what you're saying because you're just like, I was like, okay, I'm not a qualified architect myself. Okay, I did my part one and part two, but I know that is a bunch of rubbish. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I can totally see the mass appeal. And so I love it. And also it's very interesting what you're talking about, that tech world. It's a bit like Uber, isn't it? It was just not making any money, but they're becoming the service in the space that people are acclimatized to. So it's like a tech startup, really if anything, Nick, compared to the traditional notice of an architecture practice. Is that how it felt? Yeah, no, definitely the focus was tech and that was the investment based on technology. How could yeah. you scale it? How can you automate? How can you semi-automate? And then also what the demand is, the wider audience. Obviously nowadays it's got TV ads and I think it is the biggest applicant for homeowners in the UK, but there's pains. And I think I'll just talk about COVID now and, and the pains of growing a business and the challenges that still occur and arise and, and still exist. I think mm. in terms of what I learned from Design Squared is it was quite organic and there's minimal risk. I was 23, 24, 25, 27. I didn't have kids. I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't care as in I didn't have that responsibility. As long as I could pay my bills and enjoy my life and have a couple of holidays, that was what it was all about. So the earlier you start it, the more, I suppose, you, you remove the risk or you take away the conservativeness of setting up a business if you're in your 30s, 40s. That, and you've got responsibilities and you've got high costs, it's, a, it's much tougher to do it. 
I didn't know that. I didn't think like that. But what I can pass on to others is if you're going to do it as quick as you can and there'll be ups and downs and you'll learn along the way. And when you are in your 30s, you'll be a hell of a lot better than when you would have been if you started off in your 30s. So Design Square, for example, I set up a lot of my clients were focusing on kitchen and glazing. So I set up a company called Cookhouse and, and a company called Design Glazing Solutions because I wanted to allow my clients to buy a kitchen from me, manage it all. I set a showroom up, put a load of money into it. I set up a glazing company. So I had an import a product, hardwood, timber sash windows. Perfect. But the problem I had then is that I couldn't focus on those three businesses. I had to hire other people. I lost control. I lost money. So I should shut those two companies down. So what I think I'm saying there is that if you've got an opportunity, you either have to hire, make enough money to hire people to run it for you and set something up new and double down and focus on it or you'll end up compromising the business you've got and like day-to-day piecemeal and not actually executing opportunities that are available to you. So my tip to people there is, yeah, focus on one and evolve it and get yourself in a position where it can run self-sufficiently and step away, but step away properly, not look at multiples. Or you'll be doing 5 a.m. till 10 p.m. every day of your life, and that's not what life's about, really. You've got to get that work-life balance at the end At the end of it. You hard, work hard to begin with, but then you work smart. Yeah, I think that's the that's the goal. That's what I tell myself right now. Yeah, exactly. When I'm, cry, when I'm crying at 10 o'clock and <laughs> just trying to send my HMRC fat returns and all this stuff because government they won't wait around for me but i digress it's very interesting so because i didn't know you had one or two other businesses but it's it's good lessons that you learn from that and and i appreciate you sharing it so the thing is which kind of brings us to the next step so when we originally met because i pinged you an email on linkedin hope for the best and you kind kindly replied well i saw that i, I wasn't aware of these businesses before we learned that in the chat and i've seen what you've what's known as front load which kind of has a little bit of design squared has a bit of all the resi in there and a few other things as well so i'm going to bring up front load but can you tell me where that came all from and then what you're doing in that business in your role now as ceo and director of him yeah no definitely i think i think covid was a reflection time so i think just looking at how that impacted resi it just went for a big vc investment round and obviously the the nation shut down so panic stations furlough everyone heard about it everyone felt it and everyone experienced it and we had 150 employees with massive overheads so we were reactive rather than keeping it calm the industry didn't slow down if anything it got busier then was at home thinking about oh i want my house is terrible what can i do and so we doubled down on the marketing the leads were coming through the roof we sent them home survey packs out because we still need to deliver so people doing their own survey so we were quite proactive reactive to begin with then we became proactive because we didn't know how long it was going to go on for yeah but but the industry stayed rife and now obviously since covid we've got like, work from home environments we've got roof terraces and the council and government have adopted policies around that so it's very beneficial but all of this was using technology we had to we couldn't go to the office so we had to use the technology. So what Design Square gave me was how to run a business, I suppose a lifestyle business. What Resi gave me was an understanding of how you grow a business, all of the elements around investment, how you grow a team, even the granular stuff like HR, dealing with problems, offices, lots of different things. So I was learning as I go, and I'm still learning now, but also technology. Obviously, I've never mm. been involved in the tech space. So I'm looking at one of the engineers having a black screen and doing matrix on there. And I was like, wow. And then all of a sudden it popped out something on the website. Amazing. So I started to learn all about that. And then it gave me a, a more well-rounded understanding of how you set up a tech startup, potentially grow it into a big organization and maybe a UK brand, who knows? And that's the vision and that's what I'm going to try and do. If I can do it, who knows? But the experience around Design Squared to Resi has enabled me to then think about what I want and what I'm trying to achieve via front load. And the starting point of this is estate agents and homeowners are always saying, come and look at my house and tell me what I can do, the homeowner. I want to do an extension. I want to do a loft. A lot of clients say, I want to buy this house. What can I do before yep. I buy it? 
okay, you can go to an architect, it's quite clumbersome, and it takes time. And no one really necessarily fully trusts the estate agents. Estate agents can be very good, but also they're not architecturally trained. They don't know the granular details around the PD rights or whatever it may be, permitted development, for example. So then I'm thinking to myself, everyone keeps asking me this and I'm sick of doing it. But also, I like doing it because it creates work, but there's a lot of kind of lost causes. So then you start thinking to yourself, surely if people are asking me for this, there's a need for it. So basically, I set front load up. So there's two elements to it. One is streamlining delivery. So what I believe I've built at Design Squared is a profitable business based on a good brand and reputation. But it's also about the delivery. And delivery means that how do you produce your drawings to a good standard, to a high quality, and who do you use for it? But also how do you, con- and this is what I learned from COVID, how do you control your fixed costs? So for example, what fixed costs means, if I've got 15 employees and my outgoings are 80K a month, that's a lot of money. And if I have a bad month, what you do as a business owner is panic and think, right, who can I get rid of? <laughs> You become very reactive it's very stressful or you really double down on new business and marketing but it's, again it all carries risk so what i've done yeah, at design yeah. squared is i focused on hiring a super experienced team and they are representing the company they're delivering the product they're accountable they're client facing all of the kind of architects here and then i get i've got a team overseas basically so that benefits me from overnight delivery all the drafting so we've got a very slick business model and process because that then allows me then to reduce my fixed costs pay good wages and not panic when there's something that might go on in the sector that exposes me to risk and then grow my gross profit margin which is what business is about so that's a streamlining delivery so now what i've done i've offered got a big organization set up in a couple of countries across the world and i've offered that to other architects in the uk and i've got around 10 practices using that to help with their delivery so chartered architects and a lot of the big organizations do it as well anyway just don't talk about it so that that's the streamlining delivery side of things and then the big one hopefully is unlocking development potential so there's a lot of tech behind this there's a lot of data available online so I'm working with around probably about 12 estate agents now. We're looking at some of the auctioneers out there. In essence, if you're, if you're buying a house, you can use this report to understand what are you buying, what could be done to it, and why. And it's not just descriptive. It's policy referenced. It's supplementary planning documentation guidance. It's national policy framework. It's precedent. It's context. Because planning policy is quite granular it can even go down to a street based on density blah 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 and that's the knowledge we've got so there's this report basically helps buyers understand what they could do yeah it also connects them up to lawyers building surveyors structural engineers people that have worked for 20 years and do a great job that gives them trust it gives them a good level of service it helps the transactional process which estate agents love sellers if you're selling a house why the hell wouldn't you sell the house and show everyone else what could be done to that house if you don't want to do it fine don't do it but show other people that if you buy my house you could actually add 100 square meters through an extension a loft and that just unlocks the potential and opens up to a wider audience what could be done and trust me that will get you more money than it's currently on the market for or create a bidding war which obviously entices people to pay a premium for it so unlock that potential show it and then estate agents listing houses how do they make the house look attractive in terms of people buying it so again estate agents are using us for their listing to actually open up to a wider audience and demonstrate the potential it has to attract a higher bidding price basically so the report there is for those purposes basically And, and then it can be evolved through machine learning ai because a lot of the documentation we extrapolate is available online but it's in loads of different areas so scrape scrape mechanisms to auto populate reports and in essence in the future every listing or every person buying a house or owning a house having a platform where they have access to this information and many other things that i'm thinking about in terms of like energy and costs bills and what what not so that's phase two nice so it's just one or two things then you've got your eyes on I, what i love is that you you're offering business solutions to problems that you've seen 
throughout your career. I'd love to, Nicholas, while you're here, so I'd love to pick your brains on one or two things. Because a lot of people in the Arctic social listeners, they might be thinking of setting up a business, but equally they might be still working within an architecture practice or going through their steps in their career. And you've been the person that's worked in these companies. You've set up your companies. That also means that you have been the hiring manager looking for people. And so are there, when you're looking for someone to join your team, you touched upon earlier practical experience, but what stands out for you, Nicholas, in terms of an application that would come in your inbox that would grab your attention? Yeah, I, yeah, I can definitely answer that. And I can also give a bit of guidance around, I suppose, the industry. Obviously, everyone knows, I don't know how much people know about this, but we're all hearing about it. Obviously, mortgage rates, costs of living, all of that. And that does impact on us individually. And it, it will also impact on businesses because of inflation, higher pay rises, like to actually be able to accommodate it. So that there's like everyone has to work and pull and push and pull together. When I'm hiring, I'm 100% looking at specialism in what's going to have a positive impact upon my business. If I'm being blunt, I don't care what university you've gone to. What I do care is an examples of what's specific to my needs, my practice needs. So I'm always going to be looking at residential experience, residential passion, examples of that. I'm going to be focused on people that are hungry, have a really positive mindset. Not the first thing they ask me is how many days do I get to work from home? Because, and I'll talk about that in a bit more seriousness, and we're big, big supporters of remote working at Design Squared and Resi and, and Front Load will be as well, because I, I love that work from home environment and I think it's super important. But when you're younger, you sh your focus should be how often, how long I spend in the office working with seniors around me to make me better at my job. So the mindset there is important. It's about learning. And my leadership team and senior management team here, we have a lot of responsibility, but we're always in the office three days a week. The more juniors, the development side of the team, we're encouraging them to be in the office five days a week. But yeah. we want that pot, we want that hunger. And then, I'm not going to name people, but I've got certain youngsters that are part one. I have a part one kind of on a sabbatical for three months or whatever it may be and a part one grad who's about to start his part two i'll talk about that in a second quickly but he's hungry he's keen and he's developing so so quickly beyond his years and he's had probably three pay rises in six months because cool. he's delivering yeah, yeah and that's what's important so get your cv nailed down really double down on what you want to achieve but make your cv specific to that business and want to work for that business and what they do don't talk to me about skyscrapers i don't do skyscrapers focus on the residential so you need to nail your cv specific to that business model so make sure you do your research and then in terms of the quick just a real quick one home to be conscious of time the riba now have been brought out obviously in the diploma level the opportunity to work towards your part two qualification whilst working full-time in practice yeah, we've had a lot yeah. of internal discussions around this one of no might have frozen which has talked about he he's you can you hear me okay yeah, yeah cool. just i think he, someone was downloading the rabbit model on your amazing buildings in the <laughs> background there carry on <laughs> Yeah, so he's basically starting his part two in September. He's been fully supported by the business. He will be working in practice. We've set him up with one of our seniors who's, who's chartered architect as the internal kind of mentor and coach. And to be honest, in two, three years time, he'll have his part two. He'll be six years, five, six years experience under his belt and he'll be earning very good money as long as he keeps developing. And also he won't be building up 30 grand of debt in an industry, which you don't earn a lot of money. And also in a, in a market climate where you can't get a mortgage unless you're on, I know God knows how much money nowadays. So even though you're 25 trust or 23, trust me, when you're 30, 32, you're going to want to get on the property ladder. You might want to have family and you need, and if you haven't got the money to support it, it can really stress out your life and to just get ahead of it. You don't need it now, but think ahead. Yeah. Yeah. It makes complete sense. We had a similar question that popped up from a biscuit which i think you've covered which really talks about how someone will grab your attention is it room for part-time members but i think from what you're saying and i agree with you especially if you're a younger graduate or something you really have to throw yourself full force into a new office as lot as much as possible full-time being in the office learning stuff that's my opinion i don't see part-time working much especially in the earlier part of your career but would you agree with that, Nick, as well? 
Yeah, I think a lot of that come, probably comes down to the business as well. So with front load, I've got a, a member of staff who works three days a week because okay, she's working in the film space. So we're flexible around that, but we just need to be organized yeah. and make sure that when they're working, that they've got a day of delivery and it's impactful upon the business. Okay. So I think in terms of the questions around part-time work, I agree with you. I think it's quite hard because it, it takes a lot of management and organization. Having rhythm, yeah. having consistency, being around the office, that's, that, that makes a big difference from a business perspective. However, the, the day release or the part-time study, part-time work model does work. But I think what you've got to accept there is that the company is going to be investing time and money in you. So don't expect to earn the same pro rata as a full-time employee because yeah. we've got to pay for your license we've got to pay for your seat we've got to pay for our insurance so you need to be flexible around not being overly greedy earning enough to live but also respecting the company's investing in you and when you're full-time after that part-time experience you'll probably be earning five ten grand a year more than you would do if you do full-time education and that makes a big difference yeah, fair enough. That thank you for sharing that, and I think really good advice. So thank you, Visca, for asking as well. Red Mike quickly says, and I think I'm interpreting this the right way. He goes, "This is a brilliant idea." Frontload.co.uk. That's right, Nick's done it. He says, "Is there anything for us?" I think he means the US in the UK. So if not, Nick, you need to quickly get to the US because <laughs> Red Mike's going to set it up. But I think partly it was a comment on that. It's a bris- brilliant uh, Yeah, I, no, well. that's, well, no, I think it's early stages and I, and I believe in it and we're putting time and money into it and I'm using my own kind of personal time and cash in time, hopefully using others. But yeah, in the UK, I know the sector. I know the planning policy side of things. I think my tip on in the States, if there's an opportunity there, as long as, you, as, long as there is, I know, clear guidance and data around planning policy requirements and what homeowners can and can't do and value add if that's available online somewhere then there is an opportunity in any other country in in the world i specialize in the uk market policy around it and that's why i'm nailing this area and then in the future who knows well, that's it. Maybe you can do in Texas. My my view is that the houses are three times big and you take a shotgun and the rest is history. You'd be all right. But I've got clients in Texas and we get along, so I'm allowed to say that. Yeah, good. What I was going to say, because I appreciate you're going to have to go back in a minute, before you ask me one or two questions or anything, Nick, that we haven't covered at the moment, maybe if you had, the last thing I was going to ask you is if, say now you were graduating now, is there anything you'd do differently with your knowledge or would you be happy to do it the same way like you did where you just basically grunted learned from the, the trenches per se of getting a part-time job as a graduate yeah i think it's this sector the whole kind of world at the moment is you've got to just be prepared to knuckle down and dig deep and specialize at something and specialism doesn't mean you can't diverse yes like you can't change but be, double down and become an expert at what you're interested in or wanting to develop and I think because that will then help you progress into other areas. So in architecture, like just become an expert at residential design if you want to, because trust me, a lot of the processes and procedures around this, the churn, the quantity of projects, the, the different client types, the different objections and things you get, you're going to learn so much so quickly. But then I could, yeah. you could diversify into other areas. But I think it's tough out there. I think the sector is un- underpaid, undervalued. The educational system is long, it's expensive. So you just got to be smart. So I think if you are conscious of, I know, the financial aspects, and I always talk about money because that's what business is about for me, think ahead of it. And if you want to progress and stand out from the crowd in the competitive market, don't just focus on, I got into this university. To be honest, nowadays, I don't think it means so much because businesses need to operate and earn cash to pay to survive so i think double down nail it work hard positive mindset be flexible focus on opportunity and progression rather than money when you're in your early 20s as long as you can pay to live because money will come into its own back end and don't get into too much debt based on the educational system because there's other ways to do it practices will fund you you don't need to borrow and then five years down the line you've got no debt and you're earning I don't know, 30 40 percent more than you would have been if you built up debt and you've got no experience and you wouldn't be standing out from the crowd because you've got a good education practice experience is going to be vital and that would always be my advice so i don't think i change a lot around what i've done i've learned along the way i've worked hard i still work hard now 
that's just my work ethic. So don't expect it to be handed on a plate. If you want it, it's there. Go and get it. Mm. Well done. What wise words. And I'm going to try not to butcher these wise words and quickly ask you if you have any quick questions that you'd like to ping back to me before you head back into the office and the trenches yourself. Yeah, I thought probably one, one question is obviously based on talking to you and that cheeky smile. How many times have you been reprimanded by management or marched out of oh, an office? I, I would drive you insane. I would drive you insane. <laughs> the only thing I got going for me that you touched upon is that I was well-versed in microstation. VAI, I was good. So back in the days, I would have been all right. And I was good at the 3D modeling. But if you tried giving me a technical drawing, Nick, I don't care whether it was in Design Squared or Resi, I would have absolutely driven you mad and also i was in a big office and they had free kitchens nick so what i would do is i would just go to one random kitchen and then my line manager would come and be like wait what are you doing and i'm like oh, i'm just chatting to richard and then the last the, the trick i used to use so this is a tip that absolutely no one should use but i used to find <laughs> one of the senior directors who was lovely but he's further in his career and he liked to chat and i just go hey richard how's your kids doing in uni and that would buy me 10 minutes of not doing any work <laughs> classic i'll make sure i uh, keep my kitchen small i only have one and maybe i'll only open it up between the hours of 12 and one o'clock each day or something yeah, you probably like got normal away. people as long as you haven't got me on the staff you'll be productive i appreciate it nick and so where can people reach out to you and find out more about you if they yeah i think yeah yeah look at the website so front load there's an email there it goes direct to me design squared you can go that there's an inquiry formal info at design so you can drop an email there they're the two primary businesses resi i'm a kind of a shareholder in that organization i don't I consult for them so if you want to contact me directly for any advice or looking at in, obviously with things like front load i am looking to be hiring over the coming months and design squared again there's opportunities so feel free to reach out for any advice guidance or send me a cv if you're looking for anything and i'll be happy to yeah give you some of my input or even if you want your cv to be improved based on a specific job you're going to i don't mind having a little look and saying i would double down on this if you're looking to apply at this practice or anything around even the education side of things. I think I've got strong views on it. The RIBA is adapting and allowing students to give them that flexibility, which is great to see. So if you want any more tips on that around how we're supporting our team to study and work, let me know and I'll tell you why I'm doing it as well. Brilliant. This has been one of my most favorite episodes. So thank you so much, Nicholas. The last thing before you go, because I've been getting it the given, big and can you mute your, put that mute on on your thing, Sue? Absolutely terrible. All the people have gone now. <laughs> Just as well, because that's the end. But you thank you so much, Nicholas. I really appreciate such a candid chat about the pros, the cons, the highs, the lows of setting up your businesses, your viewpoints, and also some general tips for everyone. So thank you so much. I'm going to end the live stream now and thank you and the audience for tuning in, asking me and Nick questions. I really appreciate it. It makes it much more fun. And do get in contact with Nicholas of any questions that you said or and also follow the businesses, and more content coming soon. Take care, everyone. I'm going to end the live stream now. Thank you so much. No worries, Thanks. See you, guys.